0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Fulike's African Skies podcast. My name is Fulike Adebisi. In this podcast, I will be talking about many of the things that I have written about in my blog. Um, I hope you enjoy this episode and please do subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fulike's African Skies podcast. Uh, Today I wanted to talk about uh, Amika Cabral or uh, his full name, Amika Lopez da Costa Cabral. I first heard about Amika Cabral when I was at university doing my undergraduate at Obafemi Awulawo University. As part of our philosophy lectures, our lecturer Professor Fashina, or as he was more fondly known, Jingo, uh, told us about Amical Cabral and his uh, revolutionary philosophy. And so this was the very first time I heard about Amical Cabral. But as I continued to research into decolonization and the philosophies behind it, as well as the practices of anti-colonial politicians and activists, I began to learn more about Amir Cabral and how his philosophy of uh, anti-colonialism and decolonization has influenced scholars, activists around the world. So in this particular podcast, I want to discuss uh, a bit of his uh, revolutionary philosophy, his history, and how he is remembered in uh, Cape Verde and Guinea-Bissau, as well as the entire continent of Africa. Amica Cabral was a Pan-African revolutionary whose anti-colonial resistance brought Portuguese colonialism in Guinea-Bissau and Cape Verde to its knees. As a leader focused on liberation, he also defined and redefined the boundaries of and between revolutionary action and revolutionary theorization. He demonstrated the ways in which being a freedom fighter was inextricable from theorizing liberation itself. For him, revolution was also, and always critical thinking, and revolution was also and always actually fighting. Revolution was both and. Thus, as a theorist of decolonization, Amical Cabral stands out because, as Ferreira explains, when he recognized that there was a breach to be closed, he stepped into it. So Cabral was willing to put his whole body, mind and soul on the line to achieve the outcome he believed was necessary for the liberation of his people. And this is why, till the sea devours the earth, the shores of Cape Verde and the forests of Guinea-Bissau will continue to echo with the strains of his name, Viva Cabral. Cabral was born in 1924 to Cape Verdean parents in Bafata, Guinea-Bissau. Cabral's father, Juvenal Antonio da Costa Cabral, was from a wealthy and influential family. Through this genealogy, Juvenal bequeathed to uh, a younger Michael Cabral a strong political education, a love for poetry, and an interest in agriculture. His mother, Eva Pinhal Evora, was not born into an affluent family. She nevertheless provided her son. With a very special sense of self-determination, discipline, purpose, personal ethics, and an and an unshakable iron will, Eva and Juvenal Cabral separated when Amirkal was five years old. This had a significant impact on Cabral's childhood as a, as the domestic financial situation in which Cabral found himself deteriorated. His mother had to struggle to care for him and his siblings. Uh, due to the abandonment of his father, Juvenel Cabral. And so Cabral never really forgot the difficulties of his early years and later spoke of poverty as one of the reasons which would lead him to revolt against Portuguese colonialism. Cabral was homeschooled until he was 12 and he proved himself to be an exceptionally brilliant student. He finished what was meant to be four years of primary school and seven years of secondary school in only eight years. In the autumn of 1945, at the age of 21, Cabral travelled to Portugal to pursue a five-year course of study at the Instituto de Agronomia de Universidade Tecnica de Lisboa, uh, the Agronomy Institute at the Technical University of Lisbon. He attended university on a scholarship provided by the Cape Verdean branch of the Casa dos Estudantes do Imperio, uh, the House of Students from the Empire. This is a colonial government-financed social development centre for students from Portugal's colonies. During his studies in Lisbon, Cabral had to work to supplement his academic stipend. He also found time to get involved in various social and political groups, including Movimento Anticolonista, the Anticolonial Movement, and the Comité de Liberacio dos Territorios Africanos o Domino Portugués, the Committee for the Liberation of Territories Under Portuguese Domination. On the 27th of March, 1952, Cabral graduated at the top of his class, with a degree in agricultural engineering. He was the only student of African origin in his cohort of 220 students. One of those students was Maria Helena Rodriguez, who would later become Cabral's first wife. Cabral tried to get a job in Portugal with a civil service, but he was prevented due to systemic racism in that service. He then returned home, determined to decolonize Cape Verde and Guinea-Bissau. On his return, Cabral gained employment as a grade 2 agronomist. As part of this job, he traveled more than 60,000 kilometers and collected data from approximately 2,248 everyday Guinea-Bissauans. This would prove uh, a for him a territorial advantage In the armed anti-colonial struggle that he would embark on later. During this time, Cabral was also making political connections for the course of decolonization in both Cape Verde and Guinea-Bissau. Due to his immense knowledge base, persuasive powers and irrefutable arguments, he was able to convince citizens across the national and social divide to join in with the anti-colonial cause. This included civil servants, entrepreneurs, as well as urban workers, peasants, rural villagers and athletes. When the Portuguese colonizers caught wind of his, his political activities, he was reportedly exiled from Guinea-Bissau, banned from returning to reside. Thus, in 1955, Cabral returned to Portugal. After several petitions, Cabral was, however, eventually given permission to visit family in Guinea-Bissau. It was on one of these permitted visits on the 19th of September 1956 that Cabral co-established the political party that was later to become the PAIGC, the African Party for the Independence of Guinea and the Cape Verdean Islands, in Portuguese, Partido Africano para a Independencia de Guinea e Cabo Verde. Rafael Paulo Barbosa was its first president. Amical Cabral became Secretary General. The party's intentions were to initially uh, peacefully campaign for independence. However, this changed after the Pijiguti massacre of 1959, where Portuguese soldiers opened fire on protesting dock workers, killing 50 of them. This caused many of the people in Guinea-Bissau to turn to the PAIGC. This also convinced the party of the merits of an armed struggle against a domineering power that did not consider the people they governed human. So armed struggle was declared in March of 1962. After failure of their tactics in the town, The party's resistance activity moved to the rural areas and adopted a guerrilla-style approach. Under Cabral's leadership, the PAIGC liberated three-quarters of the countryside of Guinea in less than 10 years of revolutionary struggle. Beginning in 1963, Cabral took his party into an open war for independence of Cape Verde and Guinea-Bissau. Cabral distinguished himself among modern modern revolutionaries by long and careful preparation, both theoretical and practical, which he undertook before launching the revolutionary struggle. And in the course of this preparation, he became one of the world's outstanding theoreticians of anti-imperialist struggle. This intellectual strength distinguishes the PAIGC as one of the one of the few movements started by the educated elite that enjoy the full support and participation of the masses. Within three years after the beginning of armed struggle, more than two thirds of the country and population were being administered by the PAIGC. The armed struggle relied on the creative destruction of the social and economic trappings of of colonial life, as well as their complete replacement with new structures. Most anti-colonial movements on the rest of the continent, whether or not they engaged in armed struggle, were content with stepping into the shoes of the colonial powers, rather than burning burning the shoes and rethinking, dismantling or unpacking the concept of colonial power itself. Guinea-Bissau and Cape Verde were and are a drop in the colonial ocean, yet this creative destruction was a profound threat to maintaining the old colonial order. Therefore, with the complicity of France, Portugal invaded Guinea-Conakry, which is a neighbouring a country to Guinea-Bissau, and Senegal in 1969, uh, and the invasion lasted to 1970. Their aim was to destroy the PAIGC, which had offices in Conakry. This aim f- completely failed. Portuguese military resources were stretched thin as they were at the same time also repelling connected armed struggles in Angola and Mozambique. The Portuguese, late to the colonial game, forcefully and brutally held onto their colonial possessions. They used napalm with devastating effect in their African colonies. After the Portuguese invasion attempt failed, Portugal then adopted a stealthier approach. Inocencio canning allegedly with the backing and support of the portuguese secret police assassinated cabral in conakry on tw- on 20th of january 1973 cabral had been working home with his walking home with his second wife ana maria cabral the timing was not accidental the portuguese government knew that the paigc planned to declare independence in 1973 They feared that this would lead, or this could lead, to greater pressure for decolonization elsewhere and perhaps to a challenge of their authority within Portugal itself. They thus exploited divides within the PAIGC. This contributed to Cani's assassination of Cabral. Yet, one of the most significant successes of Cabral's leadership was that he had developed a party that could and did operate effectively without him. Despite the death of Cabral, the PAIGC was able to proceed with the planned declaration of independence of Guinea-Bissau a few months later, on the 24th of September 1973. This was later recognised by a 97 UN General Assembly vote. In November of 1973, Kip Verdi became independent in 1975. Nevertheless, the light of a revolutionary was extinguished too soon, and the PAIGC felt the loss of his mind and spirit keenly. The world became a poorer place with his untimely passing, and a thousand melodies of mourning were written, so that the earth would always remember his name. Viva Cabral. Viva. Across the continent, in classrooms, in road names, in music, in books, we remember Viva Cabral. Viva. The light of a revolutionary never dies. As long as his name never dies. As long as his name never dies. So that is essentially a potted version of uh, Amical Cabral's history and biography. But what is interesting or something which is uh, very much interesting about Amical Cabral is the way in which he theorized decolonization and anti-colonial approaches. For many, Cabral is often described as a Marxist, but he didn't necessarily define himself in this way. He had Marxist political education, surely, but did not join a former Marxist or Communist political party. He did understand that colonization was embarked upon for economic ends and had significant economic impact. But this doesn't make him, as such, a Marxist. Rather, it underlines the economic um, effects and outcomes of processes and logics of colonialism. Thus for him, anti-colonial revolution had to have as its primary aim the people's needs. Anything else was merely useless, self-congratulatory rhetoric. Chabal, one of Cabral's foremost biographers, describes Cabral as a nationalist. However, Cabral's brand of nationalism was not focused merely on taking control of colonial borders but on substantive eternal justice for those who found themselves trapped within them. For example on resistance, Cabral believed that resistance must be active, grounded and engaged in with full commitment not just to one's individual needs but to the needs of those who are already here, the memories of those who have gone ahead and the hopes of those yet to be born. In his book, Resistance and Decolonization*, he says, the fight of a people, the resistance of a people has various forms. Our resistance began quite some time ago. Since the day that the Portuguese had the idea of dominating us, exploiting us, our resistance began in Guinea. Our resistance in Cape Verde began since the day that the social situation clearly demonstrated that, dependent on the Portuguese colonialists, our people in Cape Verde were exploited, humiliated, exported like animals, dying of hunger. He further goes on to say, a land is only truly liberated if it manages to throw off foreign domination of a country's economy. If we, in fact, manage to liberate the economy of our country from all foreign exploitation. And thus, for him, theory is in itself part of the uh, anti-colonialist weaponry. He says in The Weapon of Theory, we are not going to eliminate imperialism by shouting insults against it. For us, the best and worst shout against imperialism, whatever its form, is to take up arms and fight. This is what we are doing and this is what we will go on doing until all foreign domination of our African homelands has been totally eliminated. In his uh, writings on revolution in Guinea, he said, we are fighting so that insults may no longer rule our countries, martyred and scorned for centuries so that our peoples may never more be exploited by imperialists, not only by people with white skin, because we do not confuse exploitation or exploiters with the colour of men's skins. We do not want any exploitation in our countries, not even by black people. And so for him, the outcome of an anti-colonial struggle was important to as a marker of success. The struggle itself wasn't the success or the end of the success, but the outcome. Until the people are free, there hasn't been a complete decolonization. So theory was important to uh, Cabral's uh, philosophy. Cabral's embedded use of theory came from a realization that praxis and theory are not separate elements of revolutionary struggle. Praxis without accurate and critical thinking would lead to failure of action. Theory without action helps no one and nothing. And so for him, he says, every practice produces a theory. And if it is true that a revolution can fail, even though it is based on perfectly conceived theories, nobody has yet made a successful revolution without a revolutionary theory. In return to the source, he tells us always remember that the people are not fighting for ideas, nor for what is in men's minds. The people fight and accept the sacrifices demanded by the struggle in order to gain material advantages, to live better and in peace, to benefit from progress and for the better future of their children. National liberation the struggle against colonialism, the construction of peace, progress, and independence are hollow words devoid of any significance unless they can be translated into a real improvement of living conditions. And so for him, independence, the end of imperialism, the existence of the post-colonial state had to have the people as its center. For Cabral, imperialism, colonisation and neocolonialism, as enacted in Africa, operated to destroy both the history and future of African peoples. Any struggle to escape these forces had to take into account the nature and impact of those forces. In Return to the Source, he tells us, the colonialists usually say that it was they who brought us into history, today we show that this is not so they made us leave history our history to follow them right at the back to follow the progress of their history let us be precise he says in revolution in guinea for us african revolution means the transformation of our present life in the direction of progress the prerequisite for this is the elimination of foreign economic domination on which every other type of domination is dependent. And he continues on in the same work revolution in Guinea to say neocolonialism is at work on two fronts, in Europe as well as in the underdeveloped countries. Its current framework is the policy of aid and is one of the essential aims of this policy. Is to create a false bourgeoisie to put brakes on the revolution and to enlarge the possibilities of the petty bourgeoisie as a neutralizer of the revolution and so he understood that revolution had to get to its final conclusion of liberation and a lot of what we call decolonization or liberation or anti-colonialism or independence is actually a dream caught short it's a journey that hasn't finished yet and the people again are at the center of his theorization and thus cabral ultimately believed that power belonged to the people to all the people equally there was no room in his thinking or struggle for intra-divisions class distinctions or hierarchies of humanity African people were his mission, his army, his mountains, his theory, his soul. Because he believed and said, we must act as if we answer to, and only answer to, our ancestors, our children and the unborn. He said, in Our People Are the Mountains, I am a simple African man, doing my duty in my country in the context of our time. We have no heroes in our country. The only heroes are the African people. And in Return to the Source, he tells us that Return to the Source itself is the denial by the petite bourgeoisie of the pretended supremacy of the culture of the dominant power over that of the dominated people with which it must identify itself the return to the source is therefore not a voluntary step but the only possible reply to the demand of concrete need historically determined and enforced by the inescapable contradiction between the colonized society and the colonial power the mass of people exploited and the foreign exploitative class a contradiction in the light of which each social stratum or indigenous class must define its position. In Our People Are the Mountains, he says, there are no mountains at all. Our people call the hills in Bo region in the southeast mountains because in Guinea, we don't really know what mountains are. As for the mountains, we decided that our people had to take their place since it would be impossible to develop our struggle otherwise. So our people are our mountains and Cabral like the people who are those mountains put his body on the line and his mind as well in his praxis there is no mind-body split no room for demarcating the thinkers from the soldiers the immortalization of Cabral's work and name in song and culture means that long after we have gone from this dusty earth The shores of Cape Verde and the forests of Guinea-Bissau will still echo with the strains of his name. Viva Cabral Viva. The light of a revolutionary never dies. As long as his name never dies. As long as his name never dies. Viva Cabral Viva. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fulke's African Skies podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I look forward to chatting in your ear soon. Goodbye.